We are continuing in our series and, and hopefully wrapping up our series here in the Gospel of Matthew. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on these chapters in, in chapter 24 and 25, most commonly known as the Olivet Discourse, or this sermon that Jesus was preaching on the Mount of Olives, hence the name, uh, directly to his disciples. So we're not thinking about just the mass crowds, but we're thinking about Jesus' last sermon to his disciples, to his closest friends, um, right before the Passion narrative. So the chapter right after this, we begin to see the series of events that kicked off that led to Jesus going to the cross. So today we find ourselves in the closing verses of, of chapter 25. So I will read them for us. And as is custom here, we'll respond with gratitude. Let's read God's word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he would say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. So as we close out these last two uh, chapters of this discourse, and as we've been focusing on, focusing on uh, this general theme of, of judgment, Pastor Joseph preached a couple of weeks ago of what it looks like to to ready ourselves, to ready for this judgment. And Pastor John preached last week on what do we do during this time of waiting? How do we steward the resources that we've been given well? And just as a little sidebar on this topic of judgment itself, it's it's a hard topic to swallow. Even as a, as a preacher, it's a, it's a hard topic to preach on because we live in a world where judgment is a hard concept. Wouldn't we much rather live in a system or in a way in which everybody can go to heaven? Why, why is there hell at all over the course of doing campus ministry for over a decade? That's, that's a, a very common and popular question is why did God have to come 
to judge people. It's hard to believe in a God who would send people to an eternal punishment. And oftentimes I would answer a lot of these questions with, with a different question of, who do you believe God to be? Who do you think God is? Uh, I've had grandparents who lived in a time in Korea that was occupied by the nation of Japan. And during a time in which they were forced to sequester their culture, their language, for, and for all intents and purposes, experienced and received political, ethnic persecution. We have brothers and sisters in the church in China, in, in Nigeria, who are being persecuted in outright violence because of their faith. Now, when you ask people like that, what kind of God is more hopeful to believe in? Is it a God who is all about this grace and mercy and can save and redeem everybody? Or is it also a God who can administer justice? A God who promises one day that all things will be restored. Now, it's difficult that when we, when we do go through hardships, when we do see things in the world around us, maybe even domestically, of things going wrong, of things not having an answer, oftentimes we ask, why? Why did God let this happen? How could God let this happen? But biblically, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, the answer found, the, the question found in the Bible isn't actually why, but it's more prone to, Lord, how long? How long will we have to wait for your justice to be administered? So if you're here today and you're having a hard time wrapping your mind or heart around this topic of God who is a judge, can I ask you, are you considering the holistic picture of who God is? That God's justice is a part of who he is and the restoration that he promises. And so that as we look at the text today, as we see this picture of judgment, of what it's actually going to look like and how people are judged, <clears throat> we'll look at it in two simple ways. Who are the sheeps, sheep and goats and who's the shepherd? Who are the sheep and goats and who's the shepherd? And then I'll close with some application for us. But firstly, who are the sheep and who are the goats? So after speaking the parable of the ten virgins that we looked on two weeks ago, and as Pastor John preached on the parable of the talents um, last week, Jesus is slowly kind of shifting away from this parable mindset, and he, ge he gives an image of the nations of the entire world, all tongues and nations being gathered at the end times when Jesus comes and returns, and he gives this imagery, this analogy of saying, those who are sheep, and those who are goats. Uh, and so when Jesus returns, he'll gather all these people and then he'll divide them. The sheep will be on his right, your right, and the, and the goats will be on his left. The sheep are the ones who are in the Lord's favor. Those who are blessed with the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, blessed by the eternal blessings of the heavenly father. Those who get into heaven. And conversely, the goats are the ones of disfavor, the ones who are cursed into the fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, as the, as the text says, cast into eternal punishment, into hell. And so what distinguishes these two camps? What distinguishes one person from being a sheep and one person from being a goat? And Jesus says, to the least of these, my brothers, the sheep are the ones who fed the hungry, 
who quenched the thirst of the thirsty, who welcomed the stranger into their home, who clothed the naked, who visited the sick, and visited those in prison. And so then, simply conversely, the goats are the ones who did not do those things. Now, as a preacher, it's very tempting to say, that's it. That's my sermon. We have it. The six points of how to be a good Christian and how to get into heaven. You feed the hungry. You quench the thirst of the thirsty. You clothe the naked. You visit the people who are sick and in prison. But it's not that simple, is it? Notice how in the text, in Jesus' sermon, he says that the righteous, both righteous and unrighteous, did not know or, and were completely unaware of when they were or weren't performing these supposedly meritorious acts. Both parties were aware, both part, if both parties were aware of what it took to enter into the kingdom of heaven, I'm sure there would be a much harder time for, for God to distinguish who was a sheep and who was a goat. But as we know, as Christians, as, as the gospel is preached, it's not because that they were doing these compassionate works of acts of mercy, but it's because their compassionate works were evidence of a life transformed with a relationship with God. It's not simply the act of doing these things that gets you into heaven, but it's the belief and the relationship that we have with God, the eternal Father, Son, and Spirit, where our life begins to bear fruit and evidences these acts of mercy because of this relationship that we have with him. Or if you want to continue the, the sheep analogy, if, if Jesus is making a distinction between who is sheep and who are goats, he can simply just say, okay, those who have wool will get into heaven and those who don't will not. So then it's tempting for us to think, okay, then I just need wool. So I'll just gather all the wool that I can and wear my finest wool sweater and wool pants. I don't know why you'd want to do that. Uh, but then you would stand there and hope Jesus doesn't notice you. He's like, I'm wearing the wool, and so I'm good. I can get into heaven. But as one scholar said, simply having real wool is not what makes you a sheep. But it's being a sheep that causes you to have real wool. Oftentimes we confuse the wool of attaining it, of giving ourselves the, this ledger and this record of all the things that I've done. I've done acts of mercy. I've fed the hungry. I've quenched the thirst of the thirsty. I've visited the sick and those in prison. Is that not enough to get me into heaven? Is that not enough to be a good person? But we fail to see that it's not our pride and boasting in this moral resume that earns us God's favor, but it's us stoking this fire, this relationship that we have for Jesus that brings us to love others in this way that he has loved us. The gospel is far beyond a checklist of here's what to do and here's what not to do and to, to fulfill that list, but the gospel is how our love for Christ, how our belief in that the God of the universe, the eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that God would come in the form of man, who would walk with us, who would eat and dine with us, who would, who would relate with sinners. And then he would go to die on the cross for our sins and be risen again so that we can see a picture of this hope and restoration. It's our love and our belief in this God 
that brings us to a place that bears fruit, that would love others, that would feed and clothe and visit, that aligns with these outward acts of mercy. So that as we read this text, I simply ask the question, are you a sheep or are you a goat? And the temptation here is for yourself and for myself particularly to think, okay, here's what I've done in my life and here are all the things that I think qualify me to be a sheep that qualify me to gain all of this wool. But instead, instead of asking yourself, man, am I a sheep or am I a goat in this passage? Ask yourself the question, what does my relationship with Jesus look like right now? What does my love for Christ look like in my life? So more so than, than placing ourselves in the situation of this text of asking, am I a sheep? Am I a goat? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? Ask yourself, who is Jesus? Who is this shepherd that is making this judgment? And Jesus fur further qualifies the acts, these acts of compassion done to a specific audience. In the text, he says, <clears throat> um, verse 40, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so when Jesus mentions here that these acts of compassion and mercy are to be done to the least of these, my brothers, who is he talking about? Uh, it's been commonly referred to here in this passage and as a very practical application to say the least of these are those people in this world who have the least of these things, who, who suffer a lot, who are in need, and therefore, go, extend your acts of mercy. I'm sure there have been plenty of uh, mercy ministries and organizations who have built their entire mission statement and values just on this passage alone. And I'm not trying to discredit that, and I'm not trying to say that we don't need mercy ministry. Those, we at least need those things, and it's very important in the life of the church. But when Jesus says, the least of these, my brothers, he's actually talking about somebody else. Literally translated, the least of these, Jesus is calling his, the little ones, my brothers. And every time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus says, my brothers, and, he, and the other time he says, little ones, he's talking to his disciples. He's describing the messengers of his word, of his teaching. He's describing the church. It's, if you go back to Matthew 10, and Jesus is preparing his disciples to go out to do the ministry of his work, he gives these specific instructions to don't worry about money, don't worry about clothes, don't worry about where your food is going to come from, and there's going to be judgment promised to, to those people in houses, uh, depending on how they receive you depending on how they welcome you as a stranger or not. So there's a lot of direct connections with these acts of mercy here in chapter 25 to his instructions in chapter 10. There is a neighborly component here of us going out and serving and ministering to the needs of those who are homeless, who are sick and in prison. That's very important. But when Jesus is talking about judgment, the end time and his return itself, the, dis the qualifying distinction is how people related to the church, how people related to his message. As he says, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That the way in which we and the world around us interacts with the church 
is a direct picture of how they view Jesus. So that the distinguishing qualifier, what gets people into heaven, what merits, quote-unquote, salvation, is their relationship with Jesus. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, this famous story of how Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, of his conversion story, Saul at the time was one of the leading persecutors of the church. He was very skilled at knowing how to hunt down the Jewish Christians and the early church movement. And so in his conversion story, he's walking on the road and Jesus comes directly himself. And Saul says, who are you? And Jesus asks him the question, Saul, why are you persecuting, not just Peter, why, not why are you persecuting these Jewish Christians or why are you persecuting my church? He asks him, why are you persecuting me? So that as Saul is persecuting the church and the work of the gospel being done through the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus, and while he's doing that, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Not just why are you persecuting my brothers and my friends and my church, but directly, why are you persecuting me? So that as we think and see this picture of judgment and what it takes to qualify us to be sheep, or goats, simply put, is how do we relate with Jesus? That when we do or do not do acts of mercy and compassion, it's not just about meeting the needs of the people there, but it's how do we interact with Jesus in the ways that we do it? Who is this shepherd that is coming? And that those who will inherit eternal life are the one who see this shepherd as was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, as the Son of Man, the God, eternal God, coming down to express his dominion over the whole earth. And as Jesus preaches here, as the one who is commanding not just the small host of angels, but all of the angels, the one who is the true king that will eventually sit on his glorious throne, the one who wields a presence that would have every nation and every tongue from around the world to come and gather and bow down, regardless of what their relationship was with Jesus before. Jesus has the presence to make everybody in this world to bow down and to call him Lord. This is who this shepherd is. So as we ask ourselves, am I a sheep or am I a goat? We can also ask ourselves, do I see God as this kind of shepherd? Do I know God to be the one who, yes, is the judge of the world, but the one who also leads me to green pastures and to still waters? The one who provides for every need and the one who restores my soul? The shepherd who knows you intimately, by name, who knows your story, who knows what this past week has been like for you, who knows what this season in life has been like for you, who knows that poignant struggle that you've been dealing with for so long. Do we believe that God is the shepherd who knows us that deeply and that intimately? As the shepherd who protects you through the valley of the shadow of death with his rod and with his staff, the one who guards you from all evil against Everything and everyone who might, make, who might want to make a claim on your life. 
even as we were confessing our sins before, the one who intimately knows your deepest mistakes and still says, you are mine. In his abundance, the shepherd who would prepare an overflowing table and an inheritance so that we can have the confidence to say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so as we look at this picture of judgment, it doesn't just hinge on the things that we've done in our life, this ledger that we have that accumulates all these acts of compassion and mercy, but it hinges on this shepherd. It hinges on Jesus himself, the one who was both shepherd and lamb, the one who chose to lay down his life so that we might be considered and brought into the fold of God and be seen in his righteousness and his goodness and welcomed into the kingdom. As we consider justice, as we consider judgment, regardless of what kinds of reservations we may have on this topic, know that as we do so, we consider who God is as a whole. This is a part of his character, of his identity, of his desire for us to live in a world that is restored, that is renewed, that is the way that he intended it to be. So rather than focusing inward on what we've done and who we are, Salvation hinges on Jesus and who he is and what our relationship with his is like. And so to close with some points of application, if this is true, if we believe in, in this God and this Jesus, the first point of application is, is trust. What does it look like to trust Jesus? This is a picture of judgment again in this context that Jesus is preaching to his disciples. So imagine Jesus preaching to you this very sermon in which he stated that the eternal blessing, this entrance into heaven, is inherited by those who support and show mercy to those doing what we're doing, who show mercy to the church and show acts of compassion as they would Jesus. This is the kind, who will, this is the kind of God who will sustain us, who will provide for our every need. That when you ask yourself the question of, am I a sheep, am I a goat, do you feel a sense of fear and trembling? Or do you sense of fe- have a sense of joy, of trust, of assurance, of perseverance, of hope, knowing that God is returning? We sit here to say, how long, O Lord? But we know that one day God will return to restore all things. So trust in the Lord that this is the kind of God who is sending you to do his work. And secondly, as we consider this picture of judgment, it's to stir us, it's to encourage us to continue to do the work of building his church, continuing to do the work of city reform, of preaching the gospel, of being in community, of displaying acts of kindness and mercy to those around us, fostering our own faith and belief and robust relationship in the gospel with this person called Jesus. That what we do and how we live and relate to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is what we do unto Jesus himself. 
how we view Christ is evidenced in the ways that we support the work and the worship of this very church. Uh, to close with some, some personal reflection, and even as I um, approach uh, this final culmination of the installation next week, it has been uh, a very strong affirmation on my life and on the life of my family to come and enter and serve in this role uh, as an associate pastor here at City. Certainly there were some challenges and difficulties initially as we were moving here and, and, and getting settled, but uh, to attest to you, to testify to you that overall this has been one of, of deep assurance for myself and, my, and for my family. Not only because of the immense support and love and care that we have experienced from each of you, from all of you in these last five years, it certainly has made things a lot easier to, to come and be cared for and to say, okay, I can do another five years here. Uh, but primarily because this assurance, this affirmation for this call moving forward, we feel it primarily because we know that Jesus is doing something here. That as we come to this church, as I sit through staff meeting, as we sit in our community groups, as we relate to each and every one of you week in and week out, we know that God is at work here. That he is doing something special in the life of this church. And so that as we witness and see the picture of this judgment, we can only be encouraged to say, Father, you are calling the sheep to yourself. Father, you are doing the work of building your kingdom here on earth. So what we're doing, what we're striving for, what we're planning is not just for our own agenda or our session's agenda or Matt's agenda, uh, but it's for the church of Christ. It's for who Jesus is. So my invitation to you is not just, would you join us in doing this mission of, of serving this neighborhood of Oakland and the medical community and the, and the students and the families here? It's not just inviting you to do that, but it's inviting you would you love our Lord and Savior in the same ways that we have so that we can love this world around us? Let's pray together. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for each of the claims that you have made on our lives. Lord, that as we think about how we came to know you, how we came to hear the gospel, Father, I praise you for the breadth of testimony and experience that you have brought to the church. That there are so many unique stories and experiences, so many deep pains and hurts, and so many high joys and praises that you have sat through and laid claim on and been sovereign over uh, the many, many years of this church. And so that as we think about our own stories, as we think about Jesus himself, as we think about you coming back, returning to judge the world, may that be a sense of assurance and hope for us. May that be a, a reason for us to praise. May that be the answer of how long and see you restoring the world as you intended it to be. Father, I pray for each of us. I pray for the work of your church. I pray for all of the leaders. I pray for the staff. I certainly pray for all of the congregation members and even those attending. That as we approach this new academic year, as we will welcome droves and droves of new people, 
uh, through these doors in the coming weeks. May we be defined, may we be known, and may, be pe may people be met not just by a smile and a warm embrace, but they would be met by Christ. Father, that through the acts of mercy that we can to love others, to build up your church, we would be conveying Christ. So Lord, help us. Give us that faith. Give us the strength and the grace to do so. All these things we pray in your gracious name. Amen.